This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Unfortunately, we live in such a culture that if a lot of these influencers were to come out and say, you know what, maybe the vaccine is helpful for some people, they would get lambasted. Their, their following would just immediately disown them and they know they can't do that. So they've become prisoners of their own communities. Welcome to Wellness, Fact versus Fiction. I'm Dr. Danielle Bellardo, and I'm a cardiologist who loves evidence-based medicine and nutrition science. But as a millennial, I've watched endless wellness fads take over social media. It's my mission to get to the bottom of things by bringing on the top expert physicians and scientists to help us determine what is fact versus fiction when it comes to your health. It's time to leave the pseudoscience behind and become empowered when it comes to our wellness. Hey everyone, it is my pleasure to bring this week's episode with Derek Bears, who is not only an incredible human, but is a multifaceted author, media expert, accomplished journalist, and yogi. He is the senior editor at Eco and co-host of the Conspirituality Podcast. He's been published as a journalist in numerous publications, including Rolling Stone, Women's Health, Big Think, Yoga Journal, National Geographic, and much, much more. He's currently co-writing Conspirituality, How New Age Conspiracy Theories Became a Public Health Threat by Random House in May 2023 with Matthew Remsky and Julian Walker. In today's episode, we deep dive into all things conspirituality. We discuss how the wellness industry, including the yoga world, has been taken over by conspiracy theories, faux progressive wellness utopianism, and attacks on public health efforts in times of crisis. We discuss how charismatic influencers exploit their followers by co-opting conspiracy theories on a spectrum of intensity, ranging from vaccines to supplements to functional medicine and more. In the process, spiritual beliefs that nurture creativity and meaning are transforming into memes of a quickly globalizing paranoia. As the alt-right and the new age horseshoe toward each other in this blur of disinformation, clear discourse, and good intentions get smothered. Derek's podcast, Conspirituality, attempts to bring understanding to this landscape through the eyes of a journalist, a cult researcher, and a philosophical skeptic as they discuss stories, cognitive dissonances, cult dynamics tearing through the yoga, wellness, and new spirituality worlds. So you don't want to miss this episode. Let's dig in. Hi, everyone, and we are so excited to be here today with Derek Bears, and I'm just so excited that he's here because I've been following him on social media for quite some time, but during the pandemic, when he and his team started the Conspirituality Podcast, I felt an immense sense of relief being able to see someone else kind of speaking out about the misinformation that was in the health and wellness community. It is such an honor for me to have him on the podcast. Thank you for joining, Derek. Thank you, Danielle. I'm equally excited and equally grateful for all of the work you do 
not being a doctor myself, but having worked in an emergency room, having been a health and science journalist for years, I really appreciate people in the medical community who have realized how social media has gone off the rails and have empowered themselves to use social media to transmit good information instead of so many of the conspiracies we're seeing. So I equal fan of your work. Well, you have accomplished so much and we've already given everyone your brief bio prior to starting the podcast, but I'd love for you to give everyone in your own words a bit about your journey um, and your career and how it all ended up where it is today, which is someone that really helps to share accurate communication about science and different topics on social media. I started my journey, I guess, into spirituality in 1993 when I got to Rutgers University and a friend gave me a copy of the Bhagavad Gita and the Dhammapada. And I started looking into Eastern philosophies, ended up getting a degree in religion, uh, fascinated by cultures and how their belief systems inform who they are as people and as societies. Uh, I am and remain an atheist, but I absolutely love studying religion and religious stories, especially the mythology behind them. So that really brought me into that realm. I was studying yoga uh, philosophically years before I started asanas. But having been injured so many times in my life, I broke my femur, my ankle twice, and my collarbone, and my nose twice, all before I was 20. So I, I lived in hospitals. I, I knew so much about my body by that early age and appreciated so much what doctors had done for me. The weird theories that were coming out of the wellness communities always raised a red flag to me. And as the years grew on, I spent a long time as a music journalist and a world music journalist, and then pivoted into health and science journalism. And all of those things just converged around the beginning of the pandemic, meaning Join and I had a website in 2011 that was skeptical of the yoga community. I don't think people were ready to hear that then. But when the pandemic started, people were like, why is my yoga teacher sharing QAnon hashtags? Like, what's going on? Why? Why are they saying that COVID is a psyop? Why is the anti-vaccination activism ticking up well before we have a vaccine for this? What's going on here? And so we launched Conspirituality as an investigation into what was happening. And the three of us independently were skeptical of a lot of the claims that were happening in yoga and wellness for years. But as I said, we had very small communities that would appreciate the work. And then all of a sudden, it's right place, right time. And we came together and started the work that we do and we continued. And honestly, at the very beginning, it was just a conversation between three friends. And I thought, who knows how long this will go? And now I don't see any, any uh, slowing down of the misinformation. So we'll be continuing for some time. You're very humble because you are clearly not going to brag about yourself, but I will brag about you. Derek's an incredibly accomplished, well-respected, well-known journalist and writer, and just incredibly talented. And really, you're just really brilliant. One of, I think you have one of the great minds about, you can really synthesize various different kinds of information with a lot of objectivity, which I think is really important. And you're just a phenomenal journalist and a writer. And I'd love for you to tell everyone who hasn't 
um, who's listening that hasn't heard Conspirituality yet about what the podcast is and as you mentioned how it started, but you know, what, what drew you guys to creating the podcast and a bit of the topics and stuff, because I will tell you that your podcast for me as a physician in the beginning of the pandemic, when it started and there was so much COVID denial and I was going to work, we talked about this off camera, but um, when I was going to work every day and seeing patients die of COVID and I was, um, it was at a, a point where we didn't even have N95 masks. We didn't know how airborne it was. We were doing aerosol generating procedures without knowing that we should be wearing N95s. It was really scary. And coming home from work to my social media, where I have a large wellness following because of me being vegan and into um, different health and wellness things, I developed a large wellness following and I was getting attacked by my followers for talking about COVID. And I was being called an alarmist. I was being told by my so many um, people, I was getting attacked constantly about how uh, COVID wasn't real. And when I found your podcast, I sent it to every physician I know, and we all felt like it was a huge like mental health relief for us. We felt like it was like, these are the people voicing what's happening in social media. And I know you had a few of my friends on the podcast. They're, they're amazing. But I, I really feel like that you guys just have done an amazing job. So if you can tell everyone a bit about Conspirituality and what you guys do. Sure. Uh, first off, thank you for the kind words. It's, it's very nice. And I think as a, as a writer, you're always looking for the topics that you know best and can cover. That said, Bill Moyers once said that journalists are people who educate themselves in public. And that's what I always appreciated about it. And so when I'm doing this kind of work, I look for people who are experts because I'm not really an expert in anything. I like to go broad and to synthesize, as you said, that's actually a skill set that I've tried to develop over the decades of doing this now. Uh, about two months before the podcast started in May of 2020, a philosopher from the UK named Jules Evans wrote an article about conspirituality, which is a term that was created or coined in 2011 from an academic paper. And can you define I, that term? What, is the, what does conspirituality mean? Conspirituality is the overlap between the far right and the wellness left, basically. So that that this has not a new phenomenon. Uh, what I like about Jules's work is he traced it back to the hippie era when it was happening with the hippie crossover with John Birch, for example. You can find shades of this in Nazi Germany. You can find you can go back to Thoreau and Emerson in the early 19th century, and you can find shades of this. Um, you know, as soon as vaccines were, I mean, vaccines are very very old, but when Jenner's work was being done, there were anti-vaccine activists around then as soon as it was happening. So historically, this is not a new phenomenon. We just haven't seen it. We never had social media before. We never had such instant access to information. And I wrote that article for Big Think. And I knew something was up because my articles got tens of thousands to maybe 100,000 views, but that article got millions of views. So I knew something was happening when I was starting to identify what was going on early in the pandemic. And it first happened around 5G. Oh my God. Making a comeback right now. It's actually coming back. I, I have really... PTSD from all the 5G stuff. <laughs> oh my God. But my, my feeling on that is these wellness influencers, if something will make their phone work faster, eventually they'll forget about it. So I don't think any of the sort of tech is really going to catch on as much as other things. Yeah. And then you had pandemic come out. 
And that was the moment that I, I reached out to Julian and Matthew and said, hey, we all knew Mickey or of him. And we knew what this was going to do. And I said, let's talk about this and get ahead of this because this is taking off. They came onto my podcast, my old podcast for two weeks. And after two weeks, I was like, hey, guys, this is a good vibe. And I think this is important, these conversations. So let's spin it off and claim it as our own. And that's, that was the roots of it. And we just tried to identify wellness influencers and the historical circumstances and crossovers that allow for this very conspiratorial and often, not always, but often right-wing thinking that goes along with these wellness protocols. Because remember, Alex Jones is a millionaire from selling supplements. It's not only the left moving right. It's, there's a relationship there. And we especially look for the most egregious offenders, the ones who we believe are shamelessly monetizing uh, fear and disinformation so that they could sell courses, books, workshops, supplements, all the things they're selling. And as well as the ones that we believe, uh, I'll speak for myself, that I believe are cult leaders in training. And we're pointing this out. And just this week, I did an article and then Julian did a tweet thread pointing out two major influencers and some of the work they were doing. And they got really upset. And they have much bigger followings than us. But I think that when you start to pull back the curtain and expose the actual tactics that people are doing, that hits in a way that trolling doesn't. You can say, I hate you, whatever. But if you bring information and show what they're doing, then it's not, there's no wonder that they responded so one of them almost violently at us because they're, they're being called out in a way that maybe they're not accustomed to. And that's really, it's nothing personal. I don't have anything specific against any people on a personal level. But when you notice the patterns and the trends and the tactics that these people are doing and the way that they're harming people and will never claim responsibility for the harm that they do, then I feel a responsibility to point that out and try to hold them accountable. Your podcast, it did come at the most amazing time because I remember seeing your work, reading your articles, and then starting to fervently like digest all of your podcast episodes and feeling so validated because I think a lot of times in medicine as physicians, especially so before the pandemic. So when we talk about the anti, you know, people that are anti-vaccine, and I'm not talking about anyone that's listening that's vaccine hesitant, that has questions or um, true concerns. I'm talking about the actual like anti-vaccine disinformation spreading groups. Before the pandemic, that wasn't actually as an adult physician, as a cardiologist, that wasn't really on my radar. Reason being is because, you know, you tell your patients to get the flu vaccine or the pneumovax. And if they don't get it, I mean, as cardiologists, we don't even provide vaccines in my office. So, you know, I'm not a primary care provider. So therefore I would encourage vaccination, but it wouldn't be, you know, something that I was really felt under my window because of the fact that people would be getting vaccinated at their PCP. Anyway, so my friends who are pediatricians, though, were like, guys, we've been dealing with this forever. Anytime my friends who are pediatricians posted something on social media about vaccines or about anything like that, they would get attacked. And I remember thinking in my head, 
my gosh, I'm so glad I'm not a pediatrician because that looks so hard. And then once the pandemic hit, it affected all of us. It affected every single person in the world. And there's no way that directly or indirectly you were not affected by COVID. And so the misinformation was directly affecting COVID. I mean, we, every physician or nurse or healthcare provider listening can attest to this, that we all saw patients who, it was heartbreaking. You'd see patients in the hospital who came in with COVID who would deny that they had COVID or would say that it wasn't COVID that caused them to be in the hospital while they were, you know, hypoxic and struggling to breathe. And I always say on our podcast, you know, it's not the patient's fault. It's the, it's the echo chamber that they fell into. And it's the people that are, like you mentioned, that are monetizing off of it, which is incredibly scary. And so during the pandemic, you guys did a phenomenal job elucidating exactly which of these big influencers were causing a lot of the disinformation and exposing how they were profiting off of it. And I remember in the beginning feeling so thankful for you guys because I was like, I had my, my, um, on my social media following people messaging me or sending me, um, you know, oh, well, you should listen to X, Y, or Z influencer. They have a different take or someone else. And I'd, I'd be like, oh my God, am I losing my mind? Like what is happening? But you guys did a great job deep diving into it. And so one of the things I want to ask you is, um, cause I know I've, I, I felt a little nervous in the beginning of the pandemic, but did you guys get a lot of backlash and did you ever get anything like death threats or anything like that for exposing this group? Because as you mentioned, there is a lot of cult like leadership in these wellness um, and these influencers and the people in the following can get really cult like involved as well. And I know that plenty of physicians, including myself, had got death threats during the pandemic when talking about masks and vaccines. But wondering if you guys have have ever gotten anything like that, too. No. And oh, I, re- I remember, I remember when I first, when we first started chatting in DMs and I asked you to be on and you were a little more hesitant then because of that reason. Yeah. And you are not the only woman who has told us about death threats. And I think that is key there. Yeah. As men, we just have different realities. I talk to my wife often about this in the sense that when she used to work in downtown LA, she would say, she would get cat called multiple times a day walking from her part. I mean, there's, it's just, it's such a part of her reality. And me being a tall, pretty sizable white man, I don't really experience those things. When I walk through, I don't feel threatened in the same ways. And for some reason, that also translates online. Wow. Where, well, I mean, we get trolled and we get, yeah. we called a lot of things. And we have <laughs> had a, we've had, we've had a lot of, Oh, your shills for big pharma, oh, who's, yeah. who's paying you, all of that, that still persists. And there's plenty of names we've been called, but we have never once been physically threatened in any capacity. And I, I know I am happy about that, but I really do believe that it is just because of us being men. And that just shows you how the online world, just the, the harassment, the ways that people harass uh, and these mediums is indicative of that, I think. And what's, what's really interesting too that you point out is that, is it called the horseshoe effect where the really, really mm-hmm. far right and the really, really far left kind of blend together? Because it was interesting because during the uh, pandemic, I started to notice that actually happened with, uh, me and you bonded over this a lot with diet tribes. So there would be this group of really low fat uh, plant-based individuals and then the keto individuals 
we're finally all um, coming together. People like literally you had the carnivores and then you had the low fat vegans all coming together for their belief in the vaccine not working or being dangerous, that everything should be healed naturally. And I remember thinking in my head, when was I ever going to see these groups retweeting each other and, and, and sharing the same philosophies. And we talked about it on Twitter quite a lot. The nutrition tribes like blended into one with their, the, their, them being against essentially the CDC and uh, guideline directed medical care and all of the major health organizations. One thing that is really important to understand, I talked historically about how none of this is new. When I started physically practicing yoga in the late 90s, 97, 98, ever since that time, there are certain sentiments that are repeated in studios across the country. I don't know about across the world, but definitely in America. You know what's best for yourself. You are your own doctor. You, you are a sovereign being. Take responsibility for you. And that often sometimes goes even further in one of the most perverse and twisted aspects of this when people say your sickness is caused by the way that you think or the way that you are. And that Marion Williamson just said that again this week. And that's what one of the what I was referencing before when Jolene Walker pointed it out on Twitter and she got upset by it. But this mindset persists and has been embedded in American wellness culture for decades. So it especially proliferates around diets. And every conspiracy theory has a shade of truth because we could probably talk about the problems with factory farming. We definitely talk about that. We can talk about supply chain issues. We can talk about over-medicalization. My last book was on psychedelic therapy, and it was about the problems with the psychiatry industry and how the incentives cause a lot of doctors to go to write a script and not talk therapy because that's not how our for-profit healthcare system. So I understand both personally having suffered anxiety disorder, having suffered from an eating disorder, all based around diet. I very personally understand the grievances that people have with the way that our systems are set up. But the binaries that have come along with that, this idea that because I'm eating clean, pure, those words are all constant in these communities, therefore somehow translates to anything that is packaged must be bad. And anyone who is promoting something that comes in a bottle, meaning a doctor, they must be in cahoots with the system at large. Uh, and I think that diet culture is the place where it proliferates the most out of any of these communities that we have, because we're so body image focused and people have such uh, ignorance around nutrition that mm. it's easy for them to just say, oh, anything that's not this is evil or trying to manipulate me in some way. So I'm only going to do these things, often without understanding that the things that they're promoting have never actually been clinically tested, as you pointed out on your last episode with Austin, which I loved when you're talking about the tapeworms. I did those detoxes. No, I did them like 15 years ago, the, <laughs> the black elder, but whatever they were like, and, and I've had three colonics in my life during that oh, time. Oh my God. And when you have these herbs moving stuff out of your body rapidly, right. or you get a colonic, you leave, you feel very light. 
You feel good. So therefore you think that something magical happened in your body. (laughs) So I was listening to an episode so happy that he was like, there's no such thing as a tapeworm. I'm like, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, no, the ropeworms. Those are the ones that they love to sell on (laughs) on Instagram. No, I mean, that's a great point. I I think you're right that although the COVID pandemic brought this to the forefront in science communication and made us all really aware of it. You're right that it's been going on for a long, long time, much longer than the pandemic. And so I would love for you to, because you guys have done such amazing deep dives on some of these biggest influencers. And I would love for you to kind of explain the way that many of the influencers, because they kind of all have a similar formula, the way they all have like you mentioned, they're selling supplements, they're selling a course, the way they are making profit off of the disinformation, the way their conferences work. Because I think when you break open what's actually happening, people can actually see for themselves like, wow, this is really not someone that's just looking out for my best interest. Because I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I mentioned in my podcast a lot that there are plenty of problems with our traditional healthcare system. I'm not going to sit here and say that traditional allopathic medicine is perfect and that every physician who's a board certified physician is excellent and doing uh, amazing. But I do think that overall, at least our clinical guidelines, and I can only speak for you know cardiology, internal medicine generally, and all the internal medicine subspecialties, but they're formulated on best evidence available in a systematic, graded way. Whether or not your practitioner follows that is, is another case. But there are many issues with our current healthcare system. But then again, that doesn't negate for the fact that we have to continue to improve our current healthcare system without deterring and sending people off to alternative providers who are providing things that haven't even been proven in, in clinical trials. So I would love for you to just kind of explain how this monetization works for them and why and how do they gain and amass such a following? Let's start a little historically because yeah. you said allopathy and that word was coined by Samuel Hahnemann in the early 19th century. When... I went to Drexel Medical <laughs> School, which is Hahnemann University Hospital. So uh, I, I know a bit about, about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, the origins of that word, it's, it's taken on different meanings over time, but the origins of that word is opposite cures like. Right? That's what he was thinking of because he was working in hospitals at the time when he created homeopathy. And he thought that bloodletting, rightly, was barbaric. And other forms of healing at that time were barbaric. He was not wrong in that. The problem was what the system that he created, this idea of an essence curing. And so you have no active ingredient. Bilopathy has become a derogatory slang term that people throw at anything Western, and it no longer just means opposite cures like. But that was the etymology of the word. And I, you know, so for example, if you have diarrhea, Allopathy would mean that you were taking something to stop the diarrhea, but in the homeopathic system, you want to promote more diarrhea to get it all out. Wow. And that's where the word comes from. So if Hanuman existed today, he would totally be an influencer on Instagram (laughs) (laughs) because he had the binaries down. I mean, what he came up with really laid a blueprint. And I think a lot of people today, if they don't even realize a lot, I mean, I've I've talked to people who don't even know what homeopathy is, or they never read his book. And I have, and I'm like, you're promoting this thing and you've never looked into it. And that, that actually happens a lot in, in these circles, but speaking more to the, the bigger influencers, which we have a thing where we don't punch down. We're going to look at the people who are very influential and we're going to talk about them because they're doing the most damage. 
So that that's one rule we agreed upon early on in this project. So leading into the pandemic, personal example, my wife and I lost two thirds of our income because I was teaching a lot of yoga and fitness at the time. She was working in hotels and then I had some income from other things. Uh, so I understand very well how hard it is on a lot of people who work in these spaces. So if you're a yoga instructor and you're used to teaching group classes and then your entire livelihood is taken from you, like, how are you going to make a living? You know, you go into survival mode. I get that. But what happened was there were certain hashtags that these minor influencers who had 5,000 followers started using them and speaking a little bit differently about things. And all of a sudden they didn't have 50,000 followers. And then, you know, maybe they got a brand deal with a vitamin company and they were like, oh, I can start to make money this way. So one of the hardest things for us to disentangle is who is authentically believing all of the things they're saying and who are just opportunists who may not believe these things, but they're taking advantage of it to monetize. What do you think about the people at the top? Like the ones that you mm -hmm. guys have featured, do you, where do you think that they stand with that? I think some of them, if you look at someone like JP Sears, yes, is that's one we focus on. That's what I was so, picturing, man. <laughs> I remember him from years ago. He was kind of funny sometimes. Sometimes I was like, ah, you know, but, but somebody I paid attention to and his social media following skyrocketed once he started talking about psyops and the government is against you, all the things which has turned into this horrible anti-trans rhetoric that he is monetizing. His wife just posted about their new $3 million home they bought. The fact that his downlines and his hatred have afforded them a 12-acre ranch in Texas is one of the most egregious things in all the years we've done this. Now, that said, uh, you look at someone like him and, hey, I'm talking anti-Joe Biden. And you know what? I used to hate Donald Trump, but... Now, I kind of think he's right. He's a guy who fought the system and won. And there's even a photo of Sears and Amber with Donald Trump. Uh, it was about a year ago. And him coming out as a big fervent Trump supporter. Well, if all of a sudden you have millions of people where before you had tens of thousands of people and you're making that kind of money, then at what point does it matter what you believe anymore? You then are beholden to appease your crowd. And I think he just makes a good blueprint for what I think happened to a lot of people, Christian Northrup being another one. Um, yep. how, where does belief intersect with monetization? It's very hard to find. On some people, it's a little easier to tell than others. But you talk about um, the Aubrey Marcuses of the world who sold Onnit Unilever for hundreds of millions of dollars and now has his Fit for Service initiative, which is go out in the desert four times a year and do psychedelics and talk about spirit. And, you know, you're watching all these influencers and you're watching not only the followings that are amassing, but, you know, we do have a sizable following and we do have people closer on the inside circles of some of these people who share information. We can't always go public with that. We don't because we try to stick to journalistic standards if we can't prove it. That said, they know how they're gaming the algorithms, some of them, and they know the advantages they have by spewing the, th the anti-establishment rhetoric that they're using is to their advantage, and they're, they're taking advantage of that.
So every single podcast episode we've had so far. So I had Jen Gunter, who I'm sure you're aware of. Yeah. Yes. The amazing OBGYN, good friend of mine. I had her on the first two episodes. I had my friend Spencer Nadalski and um, Kevin Klatt on the episode. We did, um, Kevin's a PhD, RD, and um, Spencer's a family medicine physician. We did a whole two episode series on functional medicine. Then I had my friend Artie, who's an endocrinologist. We did an entire thing on the adrenal fatigue and all those sorts of diagnoses and the, um, you know, the made up ones and all the different kinds of supplements sold. The common theme, oh, and then my friend Heather Irabunda, who's another amazing OBGYN. And the common theme through all of these episodes is that there's always an influencer out there who is promoting something that is not guideline indicated and not backed by evidence-based medicine. And whether or not they have an MD after their name, like Christine Northrup or a PhD or et cetera, or whether they're just a regular influencer, they're promoting it. And then the people who are like, it's trickling down the line to this information are the ones being harmed. And like you mentioned, there's no accountability um, at all. So as a physician, to me, it's been very confusing to see how people can promote, especially people in healthcare, how people can promote misinformation, disinformation, and non-evidence-based things like alternative COVID remedies, which you saw so much in this space, anti-vax information, things that go against experts and consensus and, and guidelines and recommending these supplements and then profiting off of them, like say Joseph Mercola, who has made quite a lot of money off of supplements rather than evidence-based care. And what's interesting to me is that we discuss in our episodes kind of time and time again, is that you know, when people want to blame, uh, I'm not saying pharmaceutical companies in general have been incredibly perfect. That is not the case either. It's, it's not It's not binary. It's not black and white. But that being said, now that I'm a, a cardiologist and I, I know the way guidelines are formatted, you know, there's actually a lot of thought that goes into evidence-based medicine. And you can actually go and look up any physician you are interested in and see how much money they've taken from pharma. It's all available online because of the Sunshine Act. You can look me up right now. If you look up Danielle Bellardo and you go to CMS Sunshine Act, you can see I've taken $0 from the pharmaceutical industry. But there is no equivalent for that for supplements. There's no equivalent for that for other things. So whereas doctors may be promoting for free online, they're promoting vaccines, they're promoting evidence-based medicine, they're not getting paid by Pfizer. But then you have people promoting all these supplements and things like that, saying that they're just, these doctors are just pharma shills. Meanwhile, there's no way to track how much money they're making from, I mean, it ranges from just COVID supplement protocols to regular supplements for adrenal fatigue that, and made up diagnosis in the functional medicine community to detoxes, to cleanses, to also, it goes all the way to like home allergy testing, which we, we um, had an entire episode about how it's all these IgG tests are not valid. And then it even spans beyond that, of course, to the anti-vaccine, but the wellness community in general, all of these non-validated tests, and they're all, they're all profiting off of it. And so it's just, to me, the, the dichotomy of how, even, I guess, how people get sucked into the cult and not see that aspect of it, that they are actually making a profit, that their leaders are making these massive profits off of the, the disinformation is, is something that is perplexing to me. I love how you didn't know until Austin told you that there are home microbiome kits. I had no idea that it's so <laughs> absurd to me. Only in, only in America, no, not only in America, I'm sorry, worldwide, only humans 
could do something so wild to me. We're, we're, we, of course, have home tests for it already. Okay, that makes sense. And another another crazy aspect of this is that you are correct in that doctors and physicians and researchers and even to nurses are demonized by conspiritualists. And yet, if someone agrees with them and they have an MD after their name, they will hold them up as being like, oh, this is someone who was in the system and they know the absolute truth. Uh, so that that is that is also a, a problematic aspect that we've noticed over and over. And there there really is no logic. I've stopped looking for logic because it really is feeling-based. And as a cancer survivor, I know that chemotherapy is not the best intervention ever created to deal with cancer, but it's the best we have right now. And there will be better targeted interventions moving forward because that's how science moves. So I I can both look at it being like, well, I had to go through that because where I am right now, that's the best way. And it's going to get better. But for some reason, this, this illusion of natural that is all over the wellness industry, it just really clouds people's thinking about it without understanding, first of all, that a lot of pharmaceutical products are based on natural ingredients. Yep. <laughs> and the fact that a lot of what they're doing in their essential oils might be toxic, as Paracelsus said, you know, what is healing in small amounts can be toxic in large amounts, and that's the basis of toxicology. And while I am no fan of corporate greed in the pharmaceutical industry, the fact that the FDA holds these companies to account for sometimes billions of dollars of clinical testing before a, a product is verified and allowed to be used compared to the fact that I can literally, James Hamblin did this in his book, uh, Researching for Clean. He went in his kitchen and made something and then put it online and sold it. And it was totally legal. And I could do that right now. And I could, I could make claims about the thing that I create in my kitchen and sell it without as long as I say it hasn't been approved by the FDA, I can go and monetize it. Insane. And so that inability to understand that, that just because your anecdote of something you believe might have helped you is not data. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Again, I want to reference the Austin episode because you talked about gluten-free diets, which I loved. Because I have this thing, and this is a total anecdote. If I eat gluten or bread products, pasta products, for a couple of days straight, I will have an outbreak of canker sores. If I don't, if I go weeks without having bread or pasta for more than a day or two at a time and then taking a few days off, I will not have canker sores. Is it correlation or causation? I don't know. As Austin said, it could have been some of the ingredients involved with the bread as well. I haven't been tested, so I don't know. So for me, I just try not to eat on multiple straight days and then I'm fine. That is a workaround. Now that is something, whatever's going on in my body, okay, it's, I found a relationship and it works for me. But what happens in the wellness industry is that would become, that must be the case for everybody. Correct. And that lack of data and that lack of foresight that other people do not experience what you experience which is really funny considering how 
much empathy and compassion are thrown around in these circles as being the ultimate uh, ideals to live up to uh, is is something that will always frustrate me, to be honest. I I couldn't agree more. And that's really well said, because when we talk about evidence-based medicine, I wish I could like grab every single listener of JP Sears or Mercola or any of these individuals and just uh, grab them and just tell them this, that that evidence-based medicine is, it, it's really a triad of a few things. And it's using, one is using the best available research evidence we have to date. And why to date is important is because the definition of science is that it's ever evolving and changing, right? At one period of time for heart failure, or uh, we wouldn't give beta blockers. And now beta blockers are part of guideline-directed medical therapy that help systolic heart failure patients live longer. You know, we we didn't know exactly what we would find in new randomized control trials and things like that. So whenever I say that this is the recommendation I'm making, it's based on using the best available research evidence to date. Um, it's also based, evidence-based medicine is based on patients' preferences and values. And then also the context within which you're making the decision, the systems around you, the structures and the context around the patients themselves, these all matter. But I think where people get hung up on is using the best available research to date, because especially with the pandemic, we saw, well, they first recommended this and then they recommended that. Well, listen, as research evolved and we learned more, some some recommendations had changed. If medicine stayed the same, we wouldn't have progress in medicine, right? And so I think that that is a big part of what the conspirituality groups kind of take advantage of when peddling supplements. But my question for them and my question for people in general who, who have fallen into this is to think of, well, what trial or evidence do they have showing that their supplement they're recommending works? What is the level of evidence they have to show that supplement X, Y, or Z that they're recommending and selling on their page works for your condition? Because the answer is going to be that they have none. And so the the question is, is then then why? So, you know, I don't know. I guess I my question for you is how how do you think these like kind of cult-like formations formed where they kind of can like I know you said you don't look for logic or reasoning anymore, but what are the manipulative tactics you guys have kind of dug up and kind of unearthed seeing? Because they're taking intelligent people and convincing them of things that are, are false. I mean, actually, one last example is look at Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is someone who, so privileged, so brilliant, undoubtedly brilliant, had access to every healthcare center in the world, diagnosed with a kind of pancreatic cancer that is curable by surgical resection, curable. And instead of following the guideline indicated recommendation, allegedly, to get surgical resection, he proceeded with things like cleanses and green juice, et cetera, delayed, delayed, delayed. And by the time he did have intervention, it was too late and he died. And that is someone with access to everything in the world. And so it can even happen. This wellness culture can even influence the most. It's not an intelligence thing. It's a, I, I don't know what it is. What are your thoughts? Studying evolutionary biology, uh, my two favorite fields well, I love neuroscience, but evolutionary biology and anthropology, I love reading on. So I've spent a lot of my time as a 
amateur. You have to listen to <laughs> my episode with Herman Ponzer. He's an evolutionary anthropologist at Duke. He did some interesting. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I wonder what it would be like to live during the time of the Decameron, when the bubonic plague, when my entire life, I would never know when the plague could hit. And at the time, of course, for centuries, the idea of miasma theory proliferated that vapors were coming and infiltrating. And you can imagine the sort of spiritual qualities that were associated with that. And we can, there's probably a religiosity to that. A convergence of forces happened in the mid-19th century leading up to the early 20th century that gave us things like vaccination, which gave us antibiotics, and which gave us hand-washing after you dissect a cadaver before going to deliver a baby. And I know that was a Hungarian physician. His name's escaping me right now. But he died basically disgraced because people thought he was ridiculous. It, there were decades when he said, hey, maybe look at this work I've done. Maybe we should wash our hands from going from you know, the, the dissections to the babies. And people were like, that's ridiculous. That would never happen. Only later was it realized that I, what's obvious now. So you have germ theory, which is debated somehow in these conspirituality circles because of terrain theory. We've done episodes on that. Um, antibiotics, vaccinations, and then better public health guidelines around sanitation. Those four forces converged at the beginning of the 20th century. At the time, mortality rates in infants, I mean, it was like one in five babies, something of that nature, were probably going to die. And now, I mean, we're actually moving in the wrong direction in America, which is insane, but, you know, well under 1%. And I honestly think there's just a level of privilege. And I don't mean that in the bad way, like, oh, I'm a billionaire. I don't have to worry about things. I just mean, we have been afforded such privileges. The fact that I'm sitting in a room that I can go and click a switch and change the temperature, or I can throw on a light because it's not light out any, anymore. Like these are things for most of human history that did not exist. So true. But we were brought up in it as being like, oh, this is just reality without understanding what led here and how much work it took to get here without understanding the climate shifts throughout history that have allowed agriculture to proliferate around the world, which is only, I mean, it exists far longer than 12,000 years, but this is the latest surge in being able to use these. And so that disconnect from nature and being at the top of the food chain, it has, it has consequences. And there's some of us some people who just think that they're immortal in, in certain ways and think that they're above things like the fact that getting a scrape and getting infected could kill you. We just don't think in those terms anymore. Um, one example I think of is rabies. One to two Americans die of rabies every year in America. In India, that number is up to 50,000 people a year die of rabies. And it's not always that high, but that is, it can be anywhere from five to 50,000 people every year because they don't have vaccinations immediately ready for them to either take before getting infected or if they get infected to take immediately. And so that level of privilege in America, just that, that allows the circumstances that we're watching unfold right now. And unfortunately, like you said earlier, so what happens? One of the influencers we've covered, Preston Smiles, he gets COVID. He blames the conditions of COVID that took him out for days 
on eating sugar once. Oh my gosh. That's the imagination leap he had to make to justify all the bullshit he had been saying up to that moment. Oh my gosh. And th- those are the circumstances. Um, another person, you know, Amber Lee, uh, JP's wife, got COVID really bad recently. And she had been planning on, this is all public, so I'm not really anything. Yeah. He had been planning on getting her breast implants taken out. And I guess there might have been something that caused her to have to. I mean, I don't, I don't know any of that. And that's fine if that procedure you have to have. But she was blaming the lingering symptoms of COVID on the fact that she had to get them out. I've seen mold toxicity used as an excuse. Oh, it must be, yeah, it must be mold. It can't be COVID, right? So once you start down that line, and you said something in the last episode too, which I fully agree with. If I'm wrong, then I'll admit it. That's how science gets better. I'm reading The Dawn of Everything right now, which is about the history of agriculture and about systems and cultures in general. And there are certain things that I've done in my reporting about evolutionary biology that now I have to rethink because there's new evidence of being like, oh, wait, maybe things didn't evolve the way we thought it did. Totally. So then I say, okay, you know what I said back then? It turns out new evidence has come up and let's look at it this way now. And it gives you more insight. And unfortunately, we live in such a culture that if a lot of these influencers were to come out and say, you know what, maybe the vaccine is helpful for some people, they would get lambasted. Their, their following would just immediately disown them and they know they can't do that. So they've become prisoners of their own communities. So true. That is so perfectly said. They become prisoners of their own communities. I, I've even found that even for myself, I had a total evolution in my change in views and nutrition science. I used to, before before I really understood how to critically appraise uh, scientific research and um, before, and it's, it's a constant process, it's constantly learning, um, before I really learned how to understand research and nutrition science in general, I kind of just had a bit of authority bias where I would follow leaders in the plant-based nutrition community and believe what they said without really truly validating the research and evidence myself. And so I, I've talked about this on a few podcasts that I fully admit that I myself have been in the zone where I thought for a period of time, the nutrition guidelines are wrong. Like it's just biased because I was vegan and letting my own biases get in the way. I'm still vegan. And I feel like where you and I share a lot of similarities that pre-pandemic, we were both really in these communities. Like I had a ton of vegan followers and you have a ton of yoga followers and people in the health and wellness community. And so when we start to promote evidence-based things like vaccines, you know, it was like a shock, I think, to a lot of my followers who expected me to go down the conspirituality route. And a lot of them, you know, turned on me and attacked me. And, and it, it makes me sad that science can't just be more, I don't know, I guess the communication of of science can't be more vast and spread to a point where people can, I feel like individuals should be able to feel comfortable evaluating the claims themselves and trying to help to do that. Because these influencers that are so big are monetizing so hardcore on the individuals following them with no, with no repercussions. Yeah. And I would add to that more humane. I think you do a really good job on your channels of, of expressing humanity uh, mm-hmm. in, in your communications. And I think that's really important. 
I've long said that if I only kept people in my circles who agree with me 100%, I'd be very lonely. Totally. And, and so what happens is people will find some episodes of ours and be like, oh my God, this is it. I love you guys. You're doing the work. And then they'll hear me one week quoting Bill Maher or Sam Harris, who I like, even though I don't agree with them all of the time. And they'll be like, I can't believe you do this. You betrayed us. And I'm like, I've liked those guys for a lot decades. Like, and, and I've never fully agreed with them. You will find that often uh, in, in the wellness circles. They're this, the sacred cows and the lines you can't cross. Uh, I've buffered up against them a few times. And honestly, I love debate and philosophy and discussions because I think that's how you grow. Totally. But social media is not conducive to long arguments. And it makes it very challenging to actually have progressive arguments on these mediums. And they do happen. So occasionally we'll go back and forth with someone, but the attention economy just sucks it all up. And I have to say, one thing I've noticed more recently is a number of these influencers, they, they dabble in philosophy or they call themselves philosophers. And yet anytime anyone disagrees with them, they either block them or shut them down. The basis, I mean, if you're going to actually do philosophy, then you have to be ready for other people to have other philosophies and to right. debate with them. Right. And that, that is not, there are very soft egos in this world. Uh, I don't, I don't want to make too general a statement, but a lot of people turn to yoga and meditation in these worlds because they've experienced some sort of trauma yes. or they have some personal issues they're going through which makes them more vulnerable to influence, which is why you have to be very careful. And the people we discuss are not being careful. And what you said at the end, they don't take responsibility for it. And that just creates really toxic conditions. And as this continues, and I'm watching it in certain communities spill over from, because a lot of these people, remember, were indoctrinated on social media, and now they're starting to go to real world events with these yeah, that's people. what I was going to ask you. So is that so now the community is kind of propagating and, and multiplying, but they have these events, right? Oh, yeah. One of the worst people in my book is Joe Dispenza. I mean, if, if people don't know him, he is a chiropractor. He was a chiropractor in the cult of Ramtha, who is a woman uh, who believes she's channeling a 35,000 year old spirit being. And he was the chiropractor giving adjustments. And that's that was his origin stories. Uh, he will call himself a neuroscientist and he will talk about quantum physics all the time and endocrinology. So speaking more in, you know, some of your friends lanes, at least, and you watch this and he, and I, we have this, we featured in the episode in one of his talks, he says, I, my work, I have seen cancer patients stage four go into remission. I have seen blind people start to see because of his breathing techniques and meditations. Oh my gosh. And he charges thousands of dollars for people to attend these. And he is very influential. Uh, I believe uh, Mayor Adams in New York recently said that he likes his work. So you Oh my I mean, gosh, that's horrifying. Yeah. When you think about when you think about the people who like think of a Marion Williamson, you know, all of her work is based in A Course in Miracles, which is total pseudoscientific bullshit. And she is hugely influential on people. And think about the casual person who doesn't know anything about this. Right. Kendall Lamar on his new record name checks one of the biggest writers in this space. I, I can't, I'm spacing it right now. But when you're not involved in these circles directly and you come across something that sounds good, 
then that's the slow indoctrination. I'm not saying Kendrick would be indoctrinated, but in general, that's how people, they have gateway drugs into these worlds, into the downlines. And it often happens through a Christian Northrop book or a Marianne Williamson book. And people, that's how they get into these mindsets. So what is your advice for anyone listening who feels either betrayed in the yoga and wellness community by this kind of way that misinformation made its way through or people that feel confused and they don't know who to believe or what what to do. What's your advice for them to kind of sort through this? Because a big one who I do, I have one specific influencer I'd love you to touch on. The big one that, that I think permeated the vegans was Zach Bush. Oh God. <laughs> Zach Bush is uh, so he's, frustrating. He's yeah, it's it, well, you talk about microbiome. I mean, he monetizes this nonsense around the microbiome to, to a level. It's all because of his rhetorical style, right? Uh, La Morte Arthur was written in a style called Amplificatio, and it's a rhyme style in which the meanings of the words are not as important as the rhythm in which the words are expressed, right? This is an old mnemonic technique. The Mahabharata is 100,000 shaloka, so 200,000 verse lines. And people would memorize that. How do you memorize that much if you don't have rhyme and you don't have some sort of technique to allow people? Uh, and it seems like a little off track, but I want to point out that that's how Zach Bush does it. He has a rhetorical style where he lulls people in and he'll just throw these concepts in, but you're so lulled by what he's saying and the way he's saying it, that the information itself isn't as important as the way that he's expressing it. And Mickey Willis is not on the same level, but he also does, because he's a filmmaker, he does lighting techniques and he uses them to his advantage to actually bring you into like you're in his living room, like you're with him and he's your buddy talking to you right now. He's on your side. So to answer your question directly, that's one thing. Watch the techniques that people use in order to get you into what they're actually saying. I feel that every American should take a debate course because the value of debating is that, okay, so let's take the vegan example. I'm a former vegan. Uh, we've discussed this in DMs yeah. before, but like I, I am no longer, but I very much appreciate it when it's done right. And I think it's totally healthy for a lot of people. And I might return someday, who knows? But that was something that was a big part of my life. Vegans can be pretty adamant that their lifestyle is the only one to live. Certain vegans, right? Oh, so, totally. so, so if you're a vegan and you believe very strongly in that lifestyle, research and then debate the merits of an all meat diet. Not that you ever have to believe in it, but right. if you can go and then study what other people are saying and thinking and understand why they're doing it that actually is the basis of empathy. Absolutely. It's like, wow, I don't agree with you, but I kind of see where you're coming from, at Absolutely. least personally. Um, but you know, that's, it takes a lot of work. That's a broad ask for people who are just scrolling Instagram, right? And then they see something that appeals to them. The third thing that I would recommend to people and something I say on the podcast often is watch what they say, watch what they sell. Because if you are anti-vaccine, but you are selling supplements to boost your immune system, which I'm sure you've explored before is nonsense. Correct. As if the immune system was one thing and then there's a way yeah. to boost that one thing. Um, and that, that, that's the biggest thing. You know, I, like I said earlier, I really believe that some people fully believe what they're saying and they're not actually selling anything. They just have a following and they're expressing their views. And that's one level. 
we focus, I mean, we do touch upon that to point out errors in thinking and the dangers it causes. Uh, the channeling community we touch upon sometimes is an example of that traditional Chinese medicine sometimes uh, in some of the more egregious claims from coming back community. But the ones who are actively selling, there's a guy named Luke Story that I did a Instagram or a TikTok piece on. I went to his website and he had over 230 items on his downline, all to optimize your health. Oh, and, and I'm like, okay, if you need 200, ranging from a couple dollars to $15,000 machines, if you need all of this to optimize your health, how unhealthy are you to begin with? So that, that's really the threads you have to untangle and look at. It's like, where is this philosophy coming from? And it's important to point out, it's not all anti-vaccine. It's very, it's very anti-authoritarian yes. and it's often contrarian. Yes. That's why Ukraine happens and all the conspiritualists have to say that Ukraine is either a psyop or, hey, you know what? The U.S. government caught. There has to be contrarian. And now you have the same thing with abortion rights. It's contrarian. Well, you know what? If you were a woman who really knew your sexuality, you wouldn't need the pill. You wouldn't need this hormone. That, that's what we're hearing right now. So it's a way of skirting around the actual issue to keep people engaged in some way that their community expects them to. Sometimes outright saying the thing like, yes, abortion should be illegal. or just kind of making the messaging, massaging it a bit to be like, well, I'm not going to answer that directly, but but you know what? Women and their hormones, let's talk about that. And those pivots are all over the influencers that we cover. The deception is is high level because it is mm -hmm. very like, you're right, they can make these pivots and they make pseudoscience sound like science. It's unfortunate, but I yeah, love those. Yeah. I love those tips for kind of how to avoid it. And I think that's great because I think that your podcast and your work and your writing has been incredibly relieving to me. I feel like to hear another voice out there, I, I just felt like it took such a huge weight off of me because when someone would say message me and be like, well, Zach Bush said X, Y, or Z, I'd be like, please go look at the Conspirituality <laughs> podcast and deep dive on him. They explain everything. And it was just such a relief to me. So thank you so much for your work. So please tell everyone it's been such an honor to have you on the podcast. And so please tell everyone where they can find you, where they can learn more, where they can find your podcast, everything. Well, thank you for that. And all of that returned to you, as I said earlier. Uh, DerekBarris.com has all of my links to everything that I do. So easy to find there. And then conspirituality.net uh, is our website, but you can find us on any podcast provider. And uh, just Friday, we're, we're talking on a Sunday, just Friday, we submitted our 100,000 word manuscript to public affairs and random house who are our publishers for the book that we were uh we got for the podcast that's coming Amazing. out in may of 2023 so Amazing. while it while it sucks that it's the publishing is still such a dinosaur in terms of how it operates at least in terms of the big publishers uh it will give us time to update a lot of the content as the midterm elections come around and to see how the wellness influencers influence the midterms and we're going to be we're going to be including that in the book last minute so we're excited that we at least get to do that before it's published uh so those those two places are the links to where everything that we do so conspirituality their podcast available on all podcast platforms i can't recommend it enough it is like so fascinating and you guys cover a broad variety of topics and i can't thank you all three of you but especially you for your work i can't thank you enough derek so thank you so much for joining me today 
Thank you, Danielle. And I will point out on your podcast that you will be a guest on Conspirituality soon. I've been wanting, so we will be recording sometime in June. So thank you. Thank you, Danielle. Such an honor. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I would love to keep bringing you all the latest health and wellness information and misinformation to debunk. So please do me a quick favor and leave a five-star rating review and share with a friend. Make sure to leave a comment about which wellness bag you'd like to debunk next, and I'll get to the bottom of it. Follow me on Instagram at MD and our podcast page at Wellness Fact Versus Fiction, and be sure to tune in next week.